Hello, everybody. Thank you again for tuning in to Drag Time with Hecklina. This is uh, Season 1, Episode 4. <laughs> and I just want to be, once again open the podcast with a brief acknowledgement that the world situation as it relates to COVID-19 is rapidly changing. The cases of COVID-19 in the U.S. are exceeding the numbers in all other countries. And, you know, people from our community are being impacted by illness and some have perished. We are particularly thinking of our friends, family, performers and all of our loved ones in New York right now where they are dealing with the worst numbers of confirmed cases. Our intention with this episode is to bring some levity and entertainment to everyone tuning in, wherever you are, whatever is going on in your world, and however you are being impacted by this pandemic, and to send you all some love. And we have a lover in the house. Uh, I'm really excited uh, to have our very special guest today. Somebody I've known, uh, I've been a fan of for a very long time, and um, I had no idea that he was also... Uh, retreating here in the uh, in the desert. I went over to his yurt the other night, and he's here with me in my house uh, recording this podcast. Actor, playwright, screenwriter, and director, and now podcaster. Give it up for John Cameron Mitchell. Ooh. Yay! <laughs> Hi, John. Hi, I'm in your house. I know. You're in my dining room, and I'm in my bedroom hiding from you. Well, it's distancing, and I've got my wipes, and uh, I'm making my lesbian hand sanitizer with essential oils. Yes, uh, John Cameron Mitchell is also, in, a, in addition to actor, playwright, screenwriter, director, and podcaster, John also makes his own hand sanitizer, which he, he gave me a sample of. It's made out of... Uh, Everclear and, and <laughs> G- Gypsy's Tears. <laughs> is there a dragon queen named Gypsy you're getting these from? Gypsy's Tears, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I was so thrilled that you, uh, you, you contacted me and said you were in Palm Springs and we were able to uh, connect. What brought you to Palm Springs? I was just running, 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 mm-hmm. as we all are from yeah. the COVID. Okay. I was doing shows in the Bay Area and Portland and as things were kicking in, it was like, ooh, yeah. this is serious. So I grabbed my stuff in New York, came back to San Francisco, and got out before they locked that down. And we probably arrived the same time. I I don't know why. I, I had some friends who are sometimes here, and I just found an Airbnb that looked cute. and uh, Very cute. With no Wi-Fi. No. <laughs> well, lucky me, I got to have you do. Uh, lucky for me, you have no Wi Fi because you came over to my place to record your digital drag fest performance earlier this evening, and it was just gorgeous out there on the patio. Oh, so I think it you. went very well. So, you, like me, and every other performer, you're trying to come up with creative ways now to make some income during all this. We're having to kind of reinvent the wheel. Yes. Yes. And so you, uh, you're doing uh, Walt Whitman divinations on Instagram and also Cameo, aren't you? Yes, I'm on Cameo uh, now, too. I, I, I think I'm going to do all of these things for charity. There, there's a friend on my Instagram. There's a friend mentioned he has a, a group called Burritos Not Bombs in Mexico City, and he's delivering uh, food to people in need, especially queer seniors. Oh, okay. Actually, yeah. That's fabulous. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to raise money for him and uh, with my digital drag fest, which is on stageit.com mm-hmm. and also on Cameo. So you just did your first digital drag fest this evening. It was live. So um, you're going to do another one. Do you know when that is? 
Gina hasn't told me, but it'll okay. be in the part of the digital drag fest later in, uh, I think the first week of, of April and yours is April. What April mine is April 6th, oh. uh, at 8 PM. Mm. And I was so inspired by your, by your show. I was like, maybe I should have a, uh, a live accompanist also, you know, that would still be gorgeous what you did. Well, there's always gig salad. Oh my God. So <laughs> can it be told that your original choice for your yes. guitarist was a, was a smooth jazz guitarist? Smooth jazz guy who, who looked into Hedvig and said, I don't know if I care for it. Oh, oh I, I did not know this. <laughs> yes. And I was like, oh, I don't oh, know if this is going to work. Of, it's, it's a bit disheartening. Yeah. Um, oh gosh. It sounds like Nina Hagen all over again. <laughs> yes. That story you told me about Nina Hagen was amazing. Yes. Nina, who is an East German who did escape and was a real punk rocker. I was on her talk show and she hadn't bothered to do research on her guests. And she's like, so what do you do? I, well, I did this Hedwig. Well, what's that? It's about an East German that comes across. She's like, what? <laughs> it's exactly her yeah she, like i was yeah. stealing her life right I, right and then she just said i'm gonna sing a song now she probably um wanted like some royalties <laughs> <laughs> we all I, love nina though oh totally i i heard that you remember Marilyn boy george's protege yes what happened uh, well he went crazy and he would go to the theater in uh, in London where they were doing Taboo and he would scream at them that he needed royalties because <laughs> because the show was about him. This is about me. Give me some money. Oh, uh, anyway, wow. I just I just thought of that because of the whole Nina Hagen thing. Um, so uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about your uh, your projects that are going on. So the return to the Origin of Love tour, which I missed in San Francisco. How dare you? I don't remember why I missed it. I think I had a show that night I had to do, but um, I heard it was amazing. And uh, you were going to go to Asia with it, and that's on hold. Yeah, you know, a lot of stuff's on hold. But, you know, for us, it's not as big a deal because things can be rescheduled. And, you know, it's not not the same as people's jobs going away and businesses going away. You know, things will come around and oddly... You know, we're entertainers that are sometimes hand to mouth, but people always need it. You know, they say it's, you know, entertainment is, is uh, recession proof. We'll see. No, that's kind of true. It's yeah. Like, um, it's like, I think they're, uh, during the Depression, Hollywood Hollywood had its... Uh, was huge. Was huge, yeah, because people had to escape somehow. Yeah. Well, they say lips, is, you know, it's a lipstick recession. You know, people will buy a lipstick. Um, though, do you get sponsored for makeup, Heclina? Um, No. Uh, maybe no. you need a publicist to get on. Get on. Yeah. Do, do you get sponsored? Well, way back we had Mac. Uh, oh, I remember that. Yeah. So yeah. our Mike Potter, my my makeup and hair wizard, uh-huh. uh, who I met, you know, at Kim's video. You know, we were flirting at the desk. You know, he was the guy who was like, "What do you mean you haven't seen that movie? I can't rent that to you if you haven't seen it." You haven't seen the Bob, asshole. You haven't seen Babette's Feast. Yes, I'm not going <laughs> to rent this to you. Uh, so we talked about going to Squeezebox, which you and I talked about as a seminal club in in the 90s in New York, which was the rock and roll fag bar where drag queens found their voice, you know, yeah. with, with the house band that was run by Stephen Trask, who wrote the songs for Hedvig. And uh, it was quite a magical time. And uh, Potter, Mike Potter and I were going there and he did my first 
you know, makeup with toilet paper rolls for my, you know, curls that would fall out. And you were saying that you kind of created your first club uh, kind of after Squeezebox, right? In a way that kind of... Well, yeah, I was I was very um, when when I started out as a drag queen, I was very influenced and and in awe of the New York drag queens. They were to me were very strong and very punk fierce. rock and very fierce and and not at all old school. Which the old school, nothing wrong with that, the traditional no. stuff, but it didn't speak to me. So I I, I loved Mistress Formica and I loved. Uh, Sherry Vine and uh, you know all those people, Lady Bunny. Yeah. So uh, I went to Squeezebox and I saw them perform. And uh, when I started Tranny Shack, I had very much had that Squeezebox feeling in mind. Yes. That I wanted but then to you do. took it to another level, which was very about collaboration and and uh, taking it beyond lip syncing and beyond. You know, it was yes. super theater. You know. It, yes. It was very deep. Yeah. It was very deep. It inspired it. It was kind of like a, the whole San Francisco ethos of like mm. D- DIY, and you know, and and anybody can get up on stage, mm-hmm. you know, kind of. As long thing. as you make it a good effort, and I'm sure Angels of Light and all of those drag troops of the '60s and '70s were inspirational too for you guys. Oh, absolutely, the Coquettes, and and I was also inspired by John Waters and Divine mm. and Hollywood mm. and punk rock, and you know, so many things that Tranny Shack kind of celebrated, you mm. know. But um, but yeah, uh, Squeezebox was very influential. Um, uh, you know what? The last time I saw you was in San Francisco before we connected here in the desert. And can I just tell you, I have been so enthralled by Amber Martin, mm-hmm. uh, who I'd never even heard of until they came to uh, she and uh, and Nathan came yeah. to uh, they came to Oasis to do Witch Camp. Yeah. And I was so blown away by her. And then she did a show uh, where she performed all Bette Midler. It was a tribute to Bette at the Continental Gay Baths, where she really became a star in the early 70s with Barry Manilow playing playing piano. And uh, she was assigned Barry, which was funny, who was still kind of in the closet at the Gay Baths. Exactly. And... She does an homage to this. She doesn't be. She doesn't act bet, but she in, kind of channels her energy, and is as good as Bette Midler. Absolutely, right? I mean, yes. and, and surpasses her in men in some ways. And the show sometimes it's called Bet Bathhouse and Beyond. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and we got to meet Barry Manilow. Because I was obsessed with him as a youth. Some, I sensed that we had something in common. Well, um, it, was, it, was, it was the surprise. of It, it was kind of like when, when Lily, Lily Tomlin or Rosie O'Donnell came out. You're like, oh, uh, yeah, big shock. But when he, we met him before he came out when he was performing in New York, and he loved Hedvig. You know, he came the same night as, as uh, Marilyn Manson. Oh, wow. Was, yeah. And we, they look kind of similar. They and, actually do. <laughs> and... Uh, it was so we knew he liked it, and so I got to meet him after his show, and he came down the stairs, you know, at the St. James Theater, and his, with his old Williamsburg accent, and was like, "I really wanted to meet you because I very much enjoyed Hedvig." And uh, wow, turned, that's great. Turned to head to Amber and said, "Is this your little lady?" Oh, and we both went, "Barry, do we?" really have to do this <laughs> we're in a stairwell i mean can we let go of never, never mind but we love him deeply i even said why didn't you play my fam- my favorite rare 
Barry song all the time. And he's like, oh, well, we sometimes do that. Tonight I did I Am You a Child. And I'm like, I love that one too. I know I know a lot about Barry more than I should. What's the rare one? Uh, well, mine was called all the, uh, all, all the Time I Thought There's Only Me Crazy in a Way No One Else Could Be. I was like, somehow something gay about this song. Wow. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of impossible to, to, to let, to convey to people how huge he was back he then. He was massive. Everywhere, everywhere. And he was good spirited, you know, he was fun and he wrote all those commercial jingles and he would do fun medleys of his, you know, I'm stuck on a Band-Aid and Band-Aid stuck on me, you know. All oh these yeah, songs. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was like a, a, a more successful, um, what, who's the one that did the Phantom of the Paradise, uh, you know, oh, a uh, Paul, Paul yeah. Williams? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he had that. He also had a little, uh, what's his name, the Australian boy from Oz? Uh, Peter Allen. Peter Allen. Yeah, everything old is new again. Peter Allen, who was married to Liza Minnelli. Well, every gay was at that yeah, time. Yeah, she followed in her mother's footsteps of just marrying gay men. Uh, my favorite <laughs> review, I, I, I just mentioned this today because my favorite film reviewer is Anthony Lane in The New Yorker. Not because I always agree with him because he's so fucking funny. And he was doing a review of the movie uh, Sunshine where the sun's about to burn out and they have to explode a nuclear device, uh, a device in it. And he's describing this. He said, they want to create a star within a star, a plan which has succeeded since the union of Judy Garland and Vincent Minnelli. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching Liza with a Z the other night. And it's really, it's it's impossible to state, much like uh, how huge Barry Manilow was, how amazing of a performer Liza was. You forget it now because she's kind of a character. A caricature of herself yeah. in a way, but she, she was almost so incredible. She surpassed her mother in, in a certain way. You know, she was more rock and roll in a way. Yes, and very, but then she could dynamic. get very subtle too. You know, like I remember she did. Uh, You've let yourself go in that the Charles Aznavour yes. song, very quiet. Mm-hmm. But you know, people make fun of her, but she was she was she the was, shit. She was the shit, and she was amazing. And you and you read the Warhol Diaries. I'm sure you have, John, but if anybody yes. else is not, there's lots of great stuff about Liza in that. I know. Um, I remember <laughs> I had to play Warhol in a, in a TV show called Vinyl mm-hmm. on HBO, and I, I read a lot of his stuff. And I, I, my favorite was like, my, Liza Minnelli, no, she's not ugly. no. She's not ugly. She keeps saying it over again. No, she's she's really not ugly. Oh my god! I think she's gorgeous. She is. She's striking. I am. I'm, I'm such a fan of Liza. I, I made the supreme sacrifice of watching Rent a Cop the other Ooh. night. Yes, Ooh. I know. It was a movie that she was in, and she uh, she did that. <laughs> but I watched it anyway. <laughs> Wasn't she in Hustle? Well, that was that. Yeah, she was in it with Burt Reynolds. uh, Rent a cop. She was a hooker. Oh yeah, they did a few together, right? Yes, poor thing. (laughs) I bet they liked each other. I met Burt Reynolds once in France at a film festival, and he. It was so old school because I was showing Hedvig in my first film there, and he won a lot of awards. And Marion Cotillard presented me with the award, and uh, I was being interviewed and. A, a short bald man came over and said, "Mr. Reynolds would like would like you for lunch." 
Ooh. I think it was the, yeah, he was French, so he didn't quite know what he was saying. Right. Um, and so I went over and had, because we were all in the same hotel, we had lunch together. And he's like, I just was walking past you and you just seem very interesting. And then he talked about himself for an hour. <laughs> whatever, whatever Burt Reynolds wants, Burt it Reynolds. Was yes, yes. Yeah. It was great. It was great. Um, oh, so just um, another one of your projects is your podcast series. Can you tell us how that came yeah, about? Yeah, well, you know, uh, COVID is the podcast era. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, totally now. Um, I was writing a musical and I saw it as a TV series. No one else did. So a wonderful company called Topic that made a, a podcast called Missing Richard Simmons um, oh, I love that podcast. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, they financed a very high budget podcast. It was maybe the most expensive because we had, you know, 40 actors, 40 pieces of music, 30 songs, Glenn Close, Patti LuPone, who can barely stand each other. I recorded them separately. Really? Um, Dennis, so there was a Sunset Is Boulevard. Is it from Sunset Boulevard? Yeah, there was now, a tobacco. And is it because Glenn Italians Close? don't forget. Did... Did Glenn Close replace Patty Lapone? It wasn't a replacement. It was Patty had an, a verbal commitment to do it in New York, and then Andrew Lloyd Webber just cast uh, Glenn. Oh dear! And then Patty sued him and, and won, and, uh, and built a, a a pool at her house and called it the Andrew Lloyd Webber Memorial. Uh. Swimming pool, hoping right. that he would be face down in it. This is all coming full circle because wasn't Liza in Sunset Boulevard too for a minute, and then she got fired. Oh, oh. I seem to remember that. Really? Yeah, well, I okay. guess Patty just you know thought maybe Glenn should drop out or something, and it's a gray area because they weren't friends, and you know. All right. Okay. So going back to your podcast. Yes, but I have incredible performances from both. Glenn sings a heavy metal song. I wrote two jazz songs for Patty. Cynthia Erivo kills it in it. Dennis O'Hare, Marion Cotillard, um, Laurie Anderson. Wow. This singer called uh, Nakane from, from uh, South Africa mm -hmm. uh, is amazing. It's, it's on the Luminary podcast uh, network, which is, I mean, you, it, it's a, it has a paywall, but you can just, you can pay like four ninety nine and listen to the whole thing and then cancel. But uh, it's actually a very good service that has a ton of great shows, Conan O'Brien, Lena Dunham, Russell Brand, you know, and they were the only ones who could really afford our budget. I'm a, a dumb, dumb question. What What does the title mean? Anthem Homunculus? Anthem, homo, Anthem is the name of the series, and we're hoping okay. to make other musicals every season made by different people. Mm -hmm. uh, but ours, our season is called Homunculus, which is... Latin for little man. And it was also a name of a kind of tumor. Um, the character I play has a brain tumor and he's crowdfunding to survive. Oh, wow. And he has a homunculus in his brain. And mm. it starts to talk to him. And Laurie Anderson plays my tumor. That's amazing. Okay, that is incredible. I'm a huge Laurie Anderson fan. Me too. I love her. Yeah, I want to say too that I spent some time with this podcast and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, f I find it to be somehow more than a podcast. It's really yeah. an immersive audio experience and um, it's wonderful story time. It's really well done. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, Anthem Homunculus is a 10-episode, very... Uh, it's almost like audio cinema. You know, it's very dense. You know, 
people go, can I be in your podcast? And it's like, not that kind of a podcast. It's actually like a TV series with 40 actors. It's a musical. There's 30 songs. There's tons of sound design. It's something we worked on for a year and a half and, uh, and write, wrote it for another year. So it's, it's my, I'm sort of more proud of it than Hedvig. You know, it's, what? Very, what, 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 what? Well, it's very autobiographical. It's yeah. about, you know, my, my, my parents, my brother and, and my boyfriend. And it, it's kind of autobiographical, but it's also an alternate autobiography. It's what would I be like if I'd never left my small town? Oh, wow. And I, and not taken the risks I took and maybe never came out and never shared my work. And so I'd probably still be creative, but I'd be a dangerous liberal shut-in like we all are now and waiting to get out so we can, you know, kick a certain president's ass. So, you know, if we can get the ventilators. Exactly. Um, so it's it's a very disturbing um, world we're in. And weirdly, Anthem feels more germane right now under COVID than, than before. Um, it's a great time to listen. It's something you want to listen to with good sound and not while you're doing something else. Okay. Um, you know, it's good for for walks and or driving or, you know, just well, lying, lying on your couch. You've sold me on it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it out while I'm on lockdown. I have, Lord knows I have time to investigate. I promise you won't regret it. It's, it's time well spent. And John, will you tell everybody one more time, where can they find the podcast? And uh, if you will, just run through the cast once more, because that's something that's uh, pretty amazing. Uh, Anthem is actually on the Luminary Podcast Network, which is, has its own app. And they have about 50 of their own proprietary um, podcasts, including shows from Lena Dunham, Russell Brand, Conan O'Brien, and the people who bring you slow burn. There's a lot of great stuff on there. Um, And they're good people too. They kind of aim to be the Netflix of podcasts. People aren't used to paying for podcasts, so it's it's been harder to to get people in there. But there's actually a a great special on now for, uh, I think it's $4.99 a month. And you can cancel at any time. Uh, so you can see what it's like for $4.99. And then, you know, if you love it, which you probably will, you can continue. But the podcast is starring Glenn Close, Patty Lupone, Cynthia Erivo, Dennis O'Hare, Marion Cotillard, Lori Anderson, Bridget Everett, Justin Vivian Bond. It's chock full of talent. Yes, it is. Now, could we talk for just a minute about a movie that I absolutely love and maybe a movie that's quite timely about a virus, a freedom virus, if you will? Uh, it says here, Mark, that you had a small eargasm when you heard two songs from Amber Martin's album Ooh. featured in That's How to Talk to Girls at Parties. Oh, my God. Yes, I love Amber Martin. I love this movie. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that because somebody somebody told me I had to watch this movie. I've not seen it yet. I'm sorry. But they said it's, it's so trippy. It's kind of like watching Liquid Sky. Yeah. It's Aliens and Punks uh, in suburban London, 1977. Um based on a Neil Gaiman story and Neil and my, my uh, producer Howard Gertler got together and, and uh, started working on it and then brought me in and I just sort of added my own stuff. And we have an amazing cast, Elle Fanning, Nicole Kidman, Alex Sharp, Ruth Wilson, Matt Lucas. It's full of 
you know, I'm, my, I'm half British, like you're half Icelandic. And, um, so we still have, we still are somewhat European, I think both you and I, and we, you know, the, the British sense of humor is what I grew up with. You know, I was lived in Scotland briefly as a kid. And so it was really fun to make my teen YA science fiction romance. Mm-hmm. And Amber does four songs, three of her own and, and sing one that I wrote, a punk song that I did on tour and then called Extraction. And then she uh, sings on a funk song. Amber Martin can sing any style. And she's on tour with me. We'll be back around next fall in uh, in L.A. Uh, hopefully, New York will stay uh, in June. We have some shows in June still. Uh, New Orleans, Salt Lake, um, and I'm trying to make her a star. Well, yeah, uh, she she needs to be. She she's uh, she's mesmerizing on stage. Really. Oh my god, she is a star. She is a star. So thank you for telling the world about her because she's so amazing. <laughs> yeah, because she's very, she is very San Francisco and New Orleans, and you know she's all of these things. She's like Janice Joplin. She actually does a Janice show that's unbelievable. She does these tribute shows to Laura Nero and and Bette Midler and stuff, but her own album called AM Gold is a very 70s inspired thing. And that song Bermuda, she does on it in my show too, and on my movie, is it's like a Melissa Manchester hit. You know, it would have been a huge hit in the 70s. I mean, we all would have been a huge hit in the 70s, right? Melissa Manchester. Oh my God. Now you talk you talk about and then also the one more time for all no, the old times. Yeah, she was great. Loved her. Um, tell me about your TV series, uh, Shrill. Shrill is a godsend. You know, I, I have to take care of my mom and her Alzheimer's and my brother sometimes. And my friend, you know, I, I hadn't acted in a while. I would do bits and pieces here and there. But my friend said, just get your agent to get you the goddamn coroner in the next <laughs> law and order Reykjavik and then, <laughs> and then you know you pick the brain up with the forceps you say a snarky remark you drop the brain in a vat you wipe your hand and say you want to go get a drink you know be that guy mm-hmm. be the guy who works once a week and is the funny guy in the in the uh on the slab in the coroner's and then you can pay for all of these things. So I got that job, which is the mean gay boss. Oh, I love it. And the Hulu show Shrill starring A.D. Bryant, who's a doll and, a, and one of the producers. It's all women producing. And I love it. And I uh, shoot in Portland. And it's really kind of like Mary Tyler Moore uh, for big girls. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm Lou Grant. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, right now I am, of course, on lockdown in my house, and I have a hacked Hulu account. So hacked. I can. Uh, well, You're admitting and, to that? Well, I'm just going to say, you know, I rented this house out uh, to Airbnb, and somebody logged into Hulu and never you logged still back have out. Theirs so still. I, still, I still have it. So <laughs> I'll, I'll be sure to watch it. I'll binge. Yeah, it's easy to binge, it's very bingeable. Mm-hmm. That sounds amazing. Um, well, we're going to shift gears once again, and uh, we're going to go into a little fun segment here. Today, as we, are, as we speak, this is World Theater Day, 
And of course, most of the world's theaters are closed, most if not all. Uh, But to celebrate a thing that is both an experience and a place, which is transformative for anyone who enters as a performer, a technician, or a member of the audience, we want to play a little game with you. Um, Mark is going to play audio questions submitted by his high school drama club. Hmm. And we are going to give you a chance to respond. Hmm. Um, So Mark, do you want to take it from here? Yeah, so here's a question from one of my very favorite people, Casey Goldsby. John Cameron Mitchell, what was it like for you to be able to make a pure yet raw movie like Short Bus? Mm. Well, Short Bus was, there was a lot of films using real sex around the time we made it in around the turn of the century. And, but most of them were quite grim and French and, you know, ended badly. So as we all know, sex is more than just grim and, and sad. It's, it's often hot, but it's often ridiculous and it's often moving and it's often, it's connected to all parts of our lives. And it seems silly to give, you know, to relegate it to French ennui or to porn. It was, it was more interesting than either of those things could show. So I wanted to work and create it through improv because I knew there were a few actors who would want to go there. So I asked them to help me create their own characters. So we had a wide open call and I chose nine interesting people. And then we started doing improv and creating stuff that was exaggerations from their own life. And we worked for about two and a half years before we actually shot it. By then, no one was interested in each other sexually, which was perfect because, you know, you could get that out of the way. Um, and in fact, you know, most of the sex in it is, is, uh, kind of bad, which makes it more interesting. <laughs> there is an orgy room. So it was kind of inspired by a radical fairy ethos. You know, I used to go to radical fairy gatherings, which are like queer hippie communes. Um, and my friend, Stephen Jus- uh, Kent Jusick, who ran the mix experimental film festival would have a cine salon where he'd show 60 millimeter films and there'd be food. And then later there might be sex, you know, in, at the party and no one had to do anything. It was, but it was fascinating to me. I'm not a group sex person, but I was fascinated by it. And being Catholic, I was fascinated by sex and scared of it. And this was my way to break sex out of uh, porn and, and connect it to emotion again. And everyone had a great experience. I probably couldn't make it now Back then, the trauma was, you know, right wings, you know, Christian distaste. Today, it might be more from a kind of more liberal thing where if someone's having sex, someone's being exploited. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, yeah, yeah. as a white cis gay man, having an Asian woman have an orgasm in front of me might be a violation today. Exactly. Um, but everyone felt really respected and, and good. Uh, all of us are good friends. All right. Thanks for that reply, John. Now we have another question about somebody that I know we are all often thinking of. You worked on an unaired pilot with Philip Seymour Hoffman, and I was wondering if y'all talked about drag during that time. Thanks. I did uh, direct a pilot for the show Happy-ish with Philip Seymour Hoffman. He was in his last year of life and he was very volatile and very, you know, he was in crisis, probably shouldn't Mm -hmm. have been working. And he begged me to do it and I did. And it was not a great experience. I'm really happy with how it turned out, but he was so erratic that it was very difficult and he can be very loving, but he can also be very in his, you know, in, in his own head and 
you know, the classic, you know, addict behavior. Um, Shalom Auslander wrote it. He's a wonderful writer, uh, very caustic, you know, and misanthropic, but very good. And we, he loved Hedvig. And in fact, he saw an early reading of what became Anthem at that time and really loved it. At that time, it was actually a Hedvig sequel, you know, but then I realized it was too much. Hedvig was too much with my own story. Um, and we had a beautiful moment. My favorite moment with Phil was I suggested a, a scene that was improvised at the very end when he comes home to Catherine, comes home to Catherine Hahn, his wife, after a horrible day at work. And I said, let's just bake cookies, improvise for a while. I'll play you music and we'll put two cameras up and you can move around the kitchen. And I, I put on, and it was going well, and then I put on what I knew was his favorite song, which was Sweet Thing by Van Morrison, which is really about, you know, at the afterlife when, when you can rest and I shall feel no more weariness, you know. And he, he broke down and she just held him. Um, and then we cut. It was a 20-minute shot. And uh, he came over and gave me a hug. And that's, that's how I'll always remember him is I allowed him to feel his life. Uh, but it was not enough, of course. And, uh, and sadly, he died three months later. Mm. Mm, that's really sad. That's really sad. Yeah, but really real. I mean, yeah. thank you for sharing this story with us and keeping it alive. Yeah. Keeping it. Thanks for really bumming us out with that last. Sorry, uh, send question. you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and after that one, we have to do one more. This one, this one's a fun one. It's me again. I would also like to know who is your favorite person to play Hedvig on Broadway, and who would you like to see play Hedvig besides yourself, of course. <laughs> well, I loved everybody who played Hedvig on Broadway, and each had his or her strengths. You know, I must say, actually, Lena Hall who won a Tony for playing Yitzhak, uh, played Hedvig in San Francisco and um, L.A. alternating with Darren Chris, who was fantastic. And so we gave her like one or two shows a week, and I saw them both, and she was amazing. She's still dying to do it again, so we're going to set it up. Because to me, it doesn't, you know, gender race, age, none of those things are necessary. Or, or, or there's no pre, you know, pre, what's the word? Uh, th there's no requirement. None of those things are required for Hedvig. Everyone is Hedvig. Um, anyone can play Hedvig. Anyone can understand the character. Um, it's a mask. It's drag. You put it on, you take it off. You put it on to work some shit out, and then you take it off. Even the character puts it on as an armor and then at the end of the piece walks naked into you know into the world saying I don't need this armor anymore take me for what I am um, I, I've been traumatized but I'm okay you know and I've been I thought my other half was going to stay with me and he hurt me but now I am finding a unity in myself and I don't need you to call me anything. Don't call me trans, don't call me he, don't call me she, call me Hedvig. You know, that's who I am. I'm a gender of one. 
Right on. And Lena Hall playing Hedwig then is a wonderful embodiment of that message just within the show. Um, the show, which does get some weird uh, criticism yeah. from some places for being yeah, an anti-trans message. Who's to judge message. what anyone's choices are if you're not hurting someone? The character, I don't think of it as a trans story in the least because the character was a very comfortable gay feminine boy in Germany and his boyfriend forced him into an operation that he didn't want to get across the wall. And in fact, it's almost like a viol- you know, kind of a mutilation by what I call the binarchy, saying that you have to be, if you have to be a man, you have to be this. If you're a woman, you have to be that. And I'm going to cut that off and that makes you a woman. This is not a personal choice. This is a government. This is abuse by the boyfriend and the mother who, who, are in cahoots here. And so the angry inch is not a choice of, of agency and finding yourself. It's a, a mutilation by the patriarchy and the binarchy to say, this is what we've decided you must be to be free. And it's only later when abandoned by that boyfriend that this newly de- uh, you know, uh, deigned woman what's the word, no, newly uh, designed a woman, by, designed by someone else, takes the bull by the horns, takes the wig by the, uh, you know, by the wings and the, the makeup and puts it on and says, fuck it, I'm going to define myself after you've hurt me. Mm. You've mutilated me and I am going to make lemonade out of these fucking lemons and sing <laughs> some songs and scream and shout and I'm going to fall in love and I'm going to be hurt and I'm going to scream and shout about that. And then ultimately I'm going to find some peace. So putting, taking off the wig, ripping it off, in fact, you know, smashing the tomatoes, it's almost a kind of uh, suicide of the characters. Like, fuck this. I don't want this anymore. I don't want this armor of this battering ram of a wig. I don't need it anymore. It's, confining me and i'm sure Hecklina, we've all we've all experienced oh that doing drag get me out of here oh yeah just throw my wigs in a, in a big flaming yeah pile. and it's very pow- empowering at first drag is an empowering thing for sure but you you can also be a trap well it's very much a trap because that's all people will see you as yes and, and in uh, the gay world because of our femme phobia right drag was desexualized and thought of as a clown thing and not as a True, I think of it as a shaman, right? A priestess and a, a very sexual priestess. You know, I got more people hitting on me as Hedvig than any. That was very eye-opening when I first started doing drag. I was like, "Oh, I can get all this trade." <laughs> yeah, it but, tends um, to be a certain yeah. kind of, you know, certain kind of, kind of strength. Gentleman, yes. Yeah, no, but uh, yeah, I think any drag queen that's done it for a long time eventually goes through some sort of uh, identity crisis. Yes, a withdrawal, um, because you, yeah. can, you can identify yourself as the character, and that, that's not always healthy. Exactly. And, but it's a wonderful tool if, you're feeling, if you were feeling insecure, especially about your femininity. And when I was a kid you know, in the military, growing up in the military, being a girl was the worst thing you could be. It was worse than being a murderer. So... A feminine boy, as we all know, is the lowest of the low, um, perhaps even lower than a masculine woman, because at least you're imitating the oppressor 
I'm, right. I'm not saying there's imitation going on because these energies are in all of us. And if you don't express them and drag is one way to express them, they can die in you like a, like a mouse dying in your wall and really stink up the fucking house. Yeah. You, you know, it's very empowering, but there's a time to put the wig down and Hedvig putting the wig down is not an anti-trans thing. It's a kind of, I don't need the armor of drag. I am, uh, you know, she's probably a non-binary adjunct professor in the Midwest <laughs> teaching German philosophy and rock and roll and comfortably, you know, numb. It's, it's also very apt that you call it armor because that's exactly what it feels like. Right? Know? When you're in it, you're like, wow, yeah. I feel safe. Yeah, exactly. And tall. Yeah, very tall. Uh, well, you know, so I, I think I can speak for Mark and speaking for myself. We are so, so honored that you came on. The well, I was forced to, Hecklina. Kind of. I think I bribed you with chicken. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I, and I did let you record it. That's time. true. Yay. Quid pro quo. Exactly. So thanks. Yay, John Cameron. Yay. Yay. Thank you, Hecklina. <laughs> and, and if you want to support John, uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's raising money for charity. You can go on Cameo, where he'll do almost anything for $50. <laughs> I took a shit the other day for somebody. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, and then i'll be doing another uh digital drag fest show uh, in april great thank you so much stage it all right and john do you want to let the fans know where's the best place they can find you out there to follow your projects so you can check out what i'm doing on my instagram which is my name john cameron mitchell uh and luminary podcast network is where anthem homunculus my podcast musical series can be found uh, the first two two episodes are easily found on any podcast app, uh, and then episodes three and on, you've got to get on Luminary, and there's there's cheap uh, ways to do that. And you can find the first two seasons of Shrill on Hulu. Yes, thank you, which I'm going to check out. Um, well, thank you for uh, listening to Drag Time with Eklina. Be sure to subscribe to the show, like us, and rate us. And tell anyone that you can about the show. You can find me on Instagram at Hecklina or Facebook and share our show to your social media networks. If you would like to support us and help us keep bringing you this original content during this very important time, you can find us on the Cash app as Drag Time or visit our website www.dragtimewithhecklina.com for other ways to contribute. Now, uh, we'll be back soon with someone very special you may know from her work on Tu Wong Fu, Girls Will Be Girls, How I Met Your Mother, Arrested Development, Will and Grace. Of course, I'm talking about Miss Coco Peru. She will be our next guest on Drag Time with Eklina. All right. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Special thanks to John Cameron Mitchell, Casey Goldsby, all the contributors from my high school drama club, and to Mr. B Nation for the artwork. This episode was recorded, edited, and produced by me. I'm Mike.